Well, good morning again. Thanks for being here this morning. Thanks for staying. I'm not sure if you realized we were going to give you an opportunity to leave after that dedication. Some of you are like, man, I missed the window. But thanks for being here this morning. Thanks for worshiping with us. Thanks for praising with us, being a part of our family this morning as we dedicated these kids and watched their families do that. And that's just really, it really is like one of my favorite things that we do. Every time I hear these parents express their hearts and I think every one of them does it differently and every one of them does it in such a profound way. I just, I get choked up with every family. Um, it is so much fun to do. Um, how many of you have seen the movie Rudy by show of hands? Okay, a lot. I love the movie Rudy. Some of you know that because I have already talked about it before. I talk about it too much probably. If you haven't seen the movie Rudy, the movie Rudy is about this young man who wants to play football for the University of Notre Dame. But the problem is he has no real skill in that area. He's, he's too small. He's not that athletic. He doesn't have the grades to get into Notre Dame, so the odds are stacked against him. And the story of Rudy is his relentless pursuit of this goal. I think part of the reason I like this movie is because I love football. Part of this, the reason I love this movie is because I think it... Um, it's kind of my story, in a way. I thought that would get a laugh. That didn't get a laugh at all. <laughs> it's not actually my story at all. But here's the thing. As a kid, I, I seriously wanted to play professional football. I thought that that's what I might do when I grew up. In fact, I painted my room as a kid in the Miami Dolphins colors. I had a poster. <laughs> I know some of you know those colors, and you're like, you have an awesome mom, and I do have an awesome mom that would let me paint my room teal and orange. I had a poster of Dan Marino over my bed. I subscribed to the Dolphin Digest, which was a newspaper that the Dolphins put out and mailed to their fans. Now, some of you in here, you don't know what a newspaper is, and you don't know what mail is. <laughs> it's just like email, but slower. Um, it's just like a blog, but harder to read. So, <clears throat> I really wanted to be a professional football player, and that dream dissolved for me when I entered high school at four foot 11 and 96 pounds. That is a true story. Um, I grew a little since then, not that much, but it, um, you may find it hard to believe I never played professional football. <laughs> but the thing I love about Rudy is, it's a story of relentless effort, relentless pursuit of a goal that seems kind of a, impossible to attain, and it's just, all of the hard work and all of the studying and all of the pain and the punishment that he has to put his body through just for the hope, just for the chance of playing football for the University of Notre Dame, just for the hope or the chance of walking out of that tunnel and walking onto that field and wearing that gold helmet. And if you love football, you can, you can kind of get that dream. You can, you can understand why that's so special. But Rudy is not an exceptional person. He's an ordinary guy with an extraordinary dream. Some of you know where I'm going with this. We've been talking about the overarching theme of Acts being about a group of ordinary people pursuing something extraordinary. We've said that the book of Acts is about a group of ordinary people with an irresistible message, the Word of God, doing extraordinary things through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you're thinking, you just made Acts about Rudy. And I worked really hard on that all week, so I hope you'd notice. <laughs> Jesus is in both stories, by the way. 
Jesus is in the story of Acts, but he's also in the story of Notre Dame. It's just that it's touchdown Jesus at Notre Dame. <clears throat> Some of you know what that means. Some of you can't believe I'm still talking about Rudy. But I would say, as we're looking at the book of Acts, that Paul is like Rudy in this way. The relentless pursuit of a goal. No matter the cost, no matter the punishment, no matter the pain, no matter what he has to go through, he believes that what he's doing is worth it. It's worth what he has to go through to get there. We're well into our study now in the book of Acts. We're in chapter 17 of 28, so we're well over halfway through our study of the book of Acts. And if you've been with us for any of these mornings, you're going to realize that we're starting to see some recurring themes. One of those themes is the proclamation of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is being preached over and over, and when it is preached, it brings one of two responses. It's either accepted or it's rejected. Those are the two responses that we get to the gospel. It's either received with openness or it's received with opposition. It's almost never received with indifference. Why is that? Because when we're confronted with the person of Jesus Christ, when we're confronted with the claims of Jesus Christ and the truth of the gospel, we either accept that he is who he said he was and we accept his claims as true and the gospel is truth, or we reject it as a lie because if he's not who he said he was, we really don't have to listen to anything else that he said. But indifference is not really an option that we have. When we come face to face with Jesus, we don't have the option to be indifferent because he didn't really intend for that to be an option. When we're confronted with Jesus, we're intended to make a choice because when we clearly understand what the Bible claims as the good news and we clearly understand who Jesus said he was, we either have to accept it or we have to reject it. This morning, we're going to look at Paul and his pursuit of the preaching and the proclamation of that truth because he believes that it's true and we're going to see that there's not really a third option. As people hear the gospel, as they hear the good news, they're going to accept it or they're going to reject it. They're going to be open to it or they're going to walk away from it. Now, before we open the word this morning, I just ask if you would pray with me. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we believe that your message of good news is clear. And we believe that it's clearly good. And yet, um, it's not always easy for us to see it as good, and not all of us acknowledge it as good. So this morning, Lord, I just pray as we open your word, would you open our hearts to hear from you? Lord, would you show us the truth of your good news? And would you show us what it looks like to pursue you? Lord, would you, would you express to us this morning through your word, your heart? We pray that in your name. Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, would you turn to Acts chapter 17? Uh, if you don't have a Bible this morning with you, we have some in the aisles here, and you're welcome to grab one, or if you raise your hand, we will pass one down to you. We also have them on the outer aisles here as well. So if you would like a copy of the Word to follow along this morning, you're welcome to grab one of ours. If you don't want to do that, but you would like a copy of God's Word, I would just say these are here for you. And they are here for you to take as our gift to you. So if you don't have a copy of God's Word or you like this one, you're welcome to take it home with you as our gift. We're going to be in Acts chapter 17. If you're using our Bible, that's going to be on page 926. 
of the New Testament. So way at the back, page 926, Acts chapter 17. What we're going to see this morning is a group of people who are faced with the decision that we've just been talking about. What am I going to do with Jesus? When I'm confronted with him, what am I going to do with him? And Paul and Silas, we have seen, they are on this mission, this tireless mission to tell people the good news of the Bible. They are going from town to town telling people about Jesus. That is their mission. And then Luke, the author of Acts, is recording that. He's recording not only what they're saying, but he's recording how people are responding to this question. What are you going to do with the person of Jesus Christ? What are you going to do with who he claims to be? And if you were here last week or you're familiar with the story, you know that they're coming off of a pretty intense encounter of doing this in the city of Philippi, where they come in and they proclaim the gospel, and then they're beaten to a pulp and they're thrown into prison for it. And this seems to be a recurring theme. When you preach the gospel, people respond and people oppose it. In fact, this morning in the story, I want to point out two things that I want you to look at while we walk through this passage. Two things. One is the opposition to the gospel is relentless. There will always be opposition to the gospel. And the second thing is this. Because of that, the proclamation of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel must be equally relentless. Opposition to the gospel is relentless, so the proclamation of the gospel must be relentless or otherwise the opposition will win out. So look with me, Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 1. It says this, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. And saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Stop there with me, if you would, for a moment. So if you've been working your way through Acts with us, you're going to recognize this pattern or what Luke says, a custom of Paul. They come into a new city. He goes straight to the synagogue and he preaches the gospel to the Jews. Why does he do that? Well, the Jews have been waiting for a Messiah. All of Scripture points them to a Messiah who will come, and it tells them what he's going to be like, and it tells them what he's going to do. And so Paul goes to them because they're waiting for him, and he says, he's already come, and it's Jesus. In fact, <clears throat> Paul knows what it's like to be a Jew who doesn't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Paul has walked this road. So he doesn't walk into the synagogue and just say, repent. He doesn't walk into the synagogue and just say, believe. Like, look at the language that it uses here. It says, Paul went in and he reasoned with them from the scriptures. It says he reasoned with them and he explained the scriptures to them and he proved that it was necessary. And then Luke quotes him directly and he says to them, this Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. He's saying Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one that you guys have been waiting for. He takes the time to walk them through it because he knows what it's like to not know the Messiah when he sees it. And he knows what it's like to understand the Scriptures the way the Jews understand the Scriptures. 
and he knows what it's like to miss it entirely and have God break into his life and say, you missed me, Paul. You missed me. Let me show you who I am. Let me show you that I am indeed the Messiah. So he says, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one that's done the work. He's the one that's paid the price. All those things that you're waiting for have already happened. And he explains that to them from the scripture. He says, Jesus is the one who's finished the work. All of the sacrifice that you've been making, all of the law that you've been following, Jesus paid for it once and for all. He has now reconciled you to God. It's done. It's already done. And he offers that saving work to you and he invites you into the family of God. And then look at how the people respond in verse 4. It says, and some of them were persuaded and they joined Paul and Silas. That means some of them were persuaded by what Paul was saying and by the truth of the scripture and they became followers of Jesus as the Son of God. And not only that, but it says, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. I'm not totally sure why Luke phrases it this way. So it's a lot of Greeks and I think it's also a lot of women. But he says it's a lot of Greeks and not a few of the women, which is a little bit confusing for me. But here's what I think is really important for us. When we look at the response to the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the good news, we see people respond with openness. And they embrace that and says, yes, that sounds right to me. I see how Jesus fulfills the scriptures. I see that he's the Messiah. And they embrace that. And they accept that invitation into the family of God. And why does Luke say who responds? Why is that important to him? Well, it's not only the Jews who believe, but it's also those who are not a part of the nation of Israel, the Greeks and the women. It's saying, look at how far the gospel extends. The gospel is not only for the people of Israel. The gospel is for everybody. The gospel breaks down cultural boundaries. The gospel breaks down economic boundaries. The gospel breaks down gender boundaries. The gospel is for everybody, and that invitation is for everybody. So Paul and Silas coming out of intense persecution for preaching the gospel, preach the gospel again. The relentless pursuit of a goal despite the cost, that's what we see. And then in verse 5, look what happens. Verse 5 says, But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob. They set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Now we're like, who's Jason? We've never heard of this guy. Jason is where Paul and Silas are staying. He's the person that they're staying with, and he very well may be hiding them at this point from the angry mob. We'll hear about him a little bit more. So they attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them, Paul and Silas, out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So we've seen what it looks like to accept the gospel. We've seen what it looks like to receive it, to be open to it. And now we're seeing what it looks like to reject the gospel. Some will accept, many will reject the truth of the good news of who Jesus is and what he came to do. And there's a lot of reasons why we would reject that. There's a lot of reasons why people reject it. 
because it threatens a way of life or it threatens a strong belief that we're unwilling to let go of. This is the second week in a row in the book of Acts that we've seen people dragged before the authorities of the city for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the second time we've seen them drug out of their house and brought before the authorities and essentially arrested or put on trial for preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. And here's the charge that's brought before these men. Like, these guys are changing everything. These men have turned the world upside down. Now, I would say as a Christian, that's actually kind of a compliment. As people who are spreading the word of God, the truth of who Jesus was around the world, turning the world upside down is is kind of a compliment, don't you think? And they say, they're preaching another king. That's also kind of true. Now, they're not inciting rebellion. They're not trying to stir up an angry mob and overthrow the government. They're not preaching against Caesar, but they are preaching a new and better king. That's true. And they're saying, accepting who Jesus says he was and accepting the truth of the good news of the Bible means that you are submitted to a new authority. It means that my life is submitted to a new king, that I respect and honor Caesar because God has put him in his place, but I am, not, I am submitted to one king, and that is God himself. I find it a little bit ironic that an angry mob becomes the accuser of Paul and Silas for unrest in the city. They're basically accusing them of causing all this chaos and disruption. A mob is accusing them of causing chaos and disruption. And they're actually quite successful at it. A mob is accusing them of overturning the peace of Rome and working against Caesar, an angry mob of people who have drugged them out of their house before the authorities. But they're actually quite successful at doing it. And after Jason and his friends, these other believers, post bail, essentially, they have to pay not only to be let go, but very likely they have to pay and promise that we'll get rid of Paul and Silas. We'll make sure they they get out of here. Look what happens. Verse 10 says this, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. (laughs) This is so funny. Paul is so funny. He keeps doing the same thing over and over again. What have we said? The opposition to the gospel is going to be relentless. And so the proclamation of the gospel must be relentless. They got beat up and thrown in prison and escaped Philippi with their life. They come to Thessalonica, and they're chased out of town by an angry mob. Their friends have to pay protection just to get them out. They're clearly threatened. They send them away, it says, immediately and in the middle of the night. You don't do that unless you're in some trouble. And they go to Berea, and what do they do? They walk into the synagogue and start preaching the gospel. The relentless proclamation of the gospel despite the cost. Now, if Luke was writing this about me, I think it would look... A little different. I think it would say, when they arrived in Berea, they took a nap. And then they whined for a while to each other about how hard this was becoming. And then they prayed to God and said, seriously, what's the deal? We're doing what you said we should do. This is not cool. This is not fun. This is not working. We're going to get ourselves killed. That's not what Paul and Silas do. They just preach the gospel. That's what relentless looks like. 
I think it's what relentless looks like to just, in the face of opposition, relentless opposition, just be more relentless because they believe that what they're saying is true. That's when they decide how important it is to them. It's when they decide what it's worth to them. They're just going to keep doing it until they're killed. So what do you think happens next in our story? I have a guess. I bet they're going to proclaim the gospel, and I bet people are going to be open to receiving that, and I think they're going to get beat up or thrown in jail or killed. That's my guess. Let's see what happens. Verse 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So what's the response in Berea? The response is overwhelming. It's acceptance. Overwhelmingly, it says they examine the scripture, they look at what Paul is saying and they're like, you're right. You're right, this is true. And so they respond. And many of them respond. It says eagerly they respond and they look at the word eagerly. It says they look at the scriptures and then they believe. It's not a blind allegiance. Like we said, he's not walking in just saying believe. Just believe because I said. He says, no, believe because it's true. You can see for yourself. All the evidence is here. There's a reason to believe. And they agree. They agree with Paul. And then Luke describes the acceptance of these believers in the same way. Jews and Greeks and women the extent of the gospel, how far it goes and who it extends to and all the boundaries that it breaks down. But then, keep reading. Paul and Silas have been relentless in proclaiming the gospel. And look what happens next. We knew this was coming. Verse 13. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds And then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. And those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Wait, the believer, the Jews from Thessalonica? Wait, that's the city they were in before. Those are the people that chased them, the angry mob that chased them out of the city. That's 45 miles away. That's not 45 miles away like here to, I don't know, Burbank. That's not 45 miles, but you know what I mean. That's not like today where you could drive there in an hour. That's 45 miles in this day and age. That's like a 15-hour walk, according to Google Maps. (laughs) Though you may find that construction projects, traffic, weather, or other events may cause conditions to differ from the map results. (laughs) And you should plan your route accordingly. That's what Google Maps says. 15 hours, takes a couple days. So the word of God is taking root in Berea and people are coming to faith and people are becoming followers of Jesus. But word gets to the angry mob in Thessalonica and they're like, we will not stand for that. And so they walk over there and they stir up the crowds and they chase them out and Paul has to leave. Paul cannot continue his ministry there because of the opposition to the gospel. That's what relentless looks like. We've talked about the relentless proclamation of the gospel That's relentless opposition to the gospel. Here's the point. For the follower of Jesus, for those who are going to proclaim the gospel, the opposition to that proclamation of that truth will be relentless. It will not let up. That's because there's an enemy of the gospel 
and it is in his best interest that that message does not get out. And the enemy of the gospel can't make it untrue. The gospel is true. Who Jesus said he was is true. Jesus was the Son of God. He did reconcile us to the Father through his work on the cross. That is a true statement. And God's enemy can't make that untrue, so what he can do is make it ineffective. And so he says, I will oppose it in every way that I can at every turn, in every chance, even if that means I've got to get an angry mob to walk for 15 hours to kick Paul out of Berea. So what does that mean for the followers of Jesus? That means buckle up. If you're going to proclaim the gospel, it's not going to be easy. And if you're going to proclaim the gospel, the truth of the word of God, you have to be relentless. You have to be like Paul that says, I believe that it's true. I believe that it's true so much that I'm willing to endure whatever I have to endure to proclaim the truth. Why? Do you see what's happening in all of these cities? We tend to focus, I think, as followers of Jesus on what's happening to Paul and Silas. Yeah, I see what's happening. They're getting beat up. I see what's happening. They're getting thrown in prison. I see what's happening. Their lives are in danger. Look what they're leaving behind in every city. A church a family of people who are following Jesus everywhere they go. People are accepting the truth of God's word wherever they go because in the midst of all that persecution, there are people who are being saved. There are people who are accepting an invitation into the family of God. There are people who are going to spend their eternity in the presence of God the Father because they've accepted the truth of God's word, because of the relentless proclamation of the gospel despite the cost. And Paul actually believes that that makes it worth whatever he has to go through to make it happen. And you know what that means to me? Paul believes what he's saying. When Paul talks about the good news and Paul talks about Jesus, he believes that it's true. I don't know if that's always true for us. I think we think more or less it's true. Maybe we believe it's true, but I don't know if we believe it's true enough to go through all of that. Because I think sometimes we think of the truth of the Scripture as being an imposition for those who don't know Jesus. And we think, I don't know. I don't want to be that guy. Because when we talk about the relentless proclamation of the gospel, I think that what we hear is, I'm not going to make people Christians. I don't want to make someone a Christian. I don't want to force my views on anybody. I don't want to be that guy. That sounds obnoxious. Nobody wants to be around that person. Some of you are here this morning. Maybe you're visiting with us this morning. And you're thinking, amen, please don't be that guy. <laughs> it is obnoxious. <clears throat> First of all, let me just say a couple things about that. We don't make people Christians. We can't make people Christians. It's not our job. That's a decision that's made between someone and the Lord. That's a work of the Holy Spirit in somebody's life. A decision that they are accountable for, not us. So we don't make them Christians. Just like we mentioned this morning with these parents up here dedicating their kids, that doesn't make those kids Christians. We can't make them Christians. All we can say is we're going to live out the gospel in front of them again and again and again. And we're going to point them to it and we're going to try to live it out in front of them. And by the grace of God, we're going to pray that they would make a choice to follow Jesus. And they would see that it's real and that they would see that it's worth it. So we don't make people Christians. 
you think, well, that's kind of semantic. You know what I mean. I don't want to force my beliefs on anybody. I don't want to force my view on anyone. But what if your view is true? What if it's true? And we believe that it is. So here's what I'd say. Relentless is different than obnoxious. I would not say obnoxiously proclaim the gospel, but I would say relentlessly proclaim the gospel. And they're different. In fact, Scripture says in Colossians, live wisely among those who do not believe and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive, not obnoxious, so that you will have the right response for everyone. What if what we believe is true and the implications of what we believe are eternal? Then are we forcing our view on someone or are we just telling them what's true? Here's what's really interesting about this. I want to read this quote to you. Have you ever heard of Penn and Teller? I think most of you have heard of Penn and Teller. <laughs> Everyone but Ruth. Penn and Teller. Penn Gillette. He's the pen part of Penn and Teller. Okay? And uh, he's widely known as a mu musician. No, magician. Widely known as, I knew that wasn't right. Widely known as a magician. He's also an author. Pretty intelligent if you listen to him. He's also a very outspoken atheist. And you would be surprised to hear this, but I think he can say this better than I can this morning. So I'm just going to read you this quote. It's kind of long, but bear with me. He says this, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. What we mean by that is uh, people who don't attempt to convert other people. For our purposes, we're just going to say preach the gospel because that, that'll make the most sense in our context this morning. So when he says proselytize, I'm going to say preach the gospel, okay? I've always said I don't respect people who don't preach the gospel. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, and atheists who think people shouldn't preach the gospel and who say, just leave me alone and keep your religion to yourself, how much do you have to hate somebody to not preach the gospel? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. Isn't that amazing? I think he's exactly right. I think he's exactly right. We have the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ clearly in the word of God. We believe that Jesus was the son of God who paid the price for our sin and our rebellion against God on the cross. He did the work. He made us right with God. He invites us into God's family. That is a true statement. We believe that followers of Jesus will spend eternity with him in heaven. We believe that that is a true statement. We believe that those who don't accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior will spend eternity away from God, apart from his presence. The most horrible thing that we could imagine. We believe that that's true. And yet... We don't want to seem pushy. The opposition to the gospel will be relentless, and so the proclamation of the gospel by his people must be relentless. If we are not proclaiming the truth of the gospel to those who do not believe, what are we doing? What are we doing? You have your connection card this morning as part of your worship folder. I just ask if you would take that out this morning 
When we're confronted with the person of Jesus, we have to either accept him or reject him. He purposely did not leave us a third option. And I would just say this morning that for those of you who clearly understand the good news of Scripture and you clearly understand who Jesus is and you believe that, then your proclamation of the gospel, your preaching of the good news of the Bible has to be relentless. It just has to be. Because if it's not, I don't know if you get it. I don't know if you understand the implications of it. If you believe, you have to share, not obnoxiously, but relentlessly. And I think some of us, we believe, we say we believe, but we don't live like it's true. And if that's you this morning, then that's what that connection card is for. Would you tell us? Don't be ashamed that that's where you are, because we've all been there or we're there right now. I believe it, I'm just not living it, and I need help to live it out. Share it with us, put it on your card, share it with your life group, talk to somebody. Don't be someone who talks a good game all the time and never lives it out. In Rudy, Dan Devine, the coach, says this, last game of the season. He gives this great pep talk. I'm going to read the whole thing. He says, you already know this, but this is the most important game of your lives. No excuses. Do the work. That's the whole pep talk. It's important, no excuses, do the work. Proclaim the gospel. That's the pep talk, church. That's the pep talk for us. No excuses, just do the work. It's not going to be easy. Opposition is relentless, so proclaim the gospel relentlessly. Here's what I would say if you're here this morning and you don't believe that what we're saying is true. You just don't believe. I would just say, take a closer look. Take a closer look and examine. Like those people in Berea, examine it for yourself. Because I think what you'll find is when you examine it, you'll find that it's true. Accept Jesus for who he said he was or reject him, but don't ignore him. Don't walk out of this room without making a decision. I'll accept him, I'll reject him. Don't ignore him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we believe we believe that Jesus is your son and we understand that what he's done for us, but it is really hard for us sometimes for that to translate into heart change. So would you change our hearts this morning? And even now as we respond to you in worship, would you help us to respond in praise for what you've done? Lord, we thank you for saving us. And I pray, Lord, that if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you, that you would stir in their heart, that you would prompt them to come to you or come back to you this morning, that no one would leave this morning without making a decision about who you are. We pray this in your name. Amen.